Thanks for joining us again on Sysadmin Minutes Trivia. This is episode S0E2. That's season zero, episode two. Third in the series, but we all know how important it is to count from zero in technical world. This week, we've got net neutrality. Actually, you know what? I can just cover that now. Yay! That's it. That's all we had on it. We have a quick look at Anthem. Post-mortem look at that. We have just a quick rant about kernel 4.0 for Linux. Quick talk about the freak SSL TLS flaw. And uh, another quick mention, shout out to Reddit's sysadmin subreddit. They've really been helping us out, giving us a lot of really good feedback. And a lot of new listeners. So if you are if you heard about us from there, welcome and thank you again. I'd also like to uh, say that I turned 30 this week. Actually last week, technically, on Friday. This is Monday the 9th in March. And it feels weird to be 30, because now I actually have to be an adult and do adult things. <laughs> you didn't have to when you were 29. I did, you know, and being 30 feels just like being 29. But, uh, you know, now everybody actually expects it of you, instead of you just failing off on your own if you don't do those things. Ah, <sighs> boy. So that's unfortunate. My girlfriend, her birthday is tomorrow. Well, four days apart in birthdays, so that's pretty cool. A couple years, but, you know, four days apart. Happy birthday. Love you very much. And uh, tonight, I am drinking an Omegang Art of Darkness, which is a Belgian-style dark ale from a brewery, Omegang, in Cooperstown, New York. Jathan is not drinking anything, are you? No. Uh, so, one, I have been pretty sick on my medication, so I'm not supposed to be drinking. Oh. Two, um, at the moment, because of the whole body bongo incident last week, I'm recording from my office at work, and drinking at work is bad and gets you fired, so don't do that. Not unless you do it right. We've talked about this. I know, but we shouldn't tell people to do that. <laughs> Why well, telecommute, so I mean, either way. Uh, yeah, well, you're one of them. I have a real office with real other people that really surround me, and, uh... Some of them probably wouldn't appreciate if I was sitting here with a beer in my hand. I have a real office. I just happen to be the only one that uses it. I have a real office that I share. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. So as we mentioned, you know, net neutrality, it's it passed, which is great. You know, I mean, I'm really excited about that. I am kind of bummed that all the ISPs are fighting it so hard, especially when it's like you you signed on for like some of the benefits under the same bill it's now under, you know, so it's it's just a little bit hypocritical. But I, I didn't really expect anything else. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they're just money hungry when it comes down to it at the end of the day. So, yeah, well, I, I mean, well, I mean, you look at like Comcast and Time Warner and they have so much market share. Yeah, I I could see that, but I don't know. I mean, I think it, it behooves everyone, you know, and it's, I wouldn't chalk it up so much to being money hungry, more so it, you know, to be fair to them, it does make their infrastructure a bit more of a pain in the ass to manage, you know, if, if everything has to be unthrottled and equal, equal leverage and everything like that, you know, but that could be a lot to, a lot to take care of. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you're in the business. Like, that's how you make money. Those are your customers. I think you should respect whatever the, whatever they want to do. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, net neutrality is more about intercompany politics than it is the end user, I think, at this point. We probably would not have seen the outcome that we did if Netflix and, and Comcast didn't uh, didn't disagree. Yeah, I agree. I think that largely well, and Netflix, uh, they had some kind of thing going with uh, Verizon, right? Where basically Verizon was giving them almost like a priority on their networks. Is that correct? Do you know anything about that? Sort of. I mean, they 
it wasn't so much priority as it was like Comcast was not peering with the proper the proper respect, I guess you could say, as most carriers do. And Verizon was an example of a carrier that did respect it. Got it. So, I mean, yeah, it all comes down to politics. But sometimes politics do come out in favor for, for the little guy, us. So yay for that. And I also, since we plugged our podcast on Reddit, I was looking through our, our statistics or, you know, our stats of who's hitting us. And I saw BOS. <laughs> now, I, I don't remember when the last release was. 1994, maybe? 93? I can tell you right now. I can't tell you right now. Latest release was... Latest release date is not listed on Wikipedia. What madness. Uh, I think it was RC4 was the last release. They have a version number, but they don't have a date. Wonderful. And anyways, it's 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 an old OS, right? So if you are, if you decided to subscribe to us uh, and you like what we're doing, the one or, or I think it was two different IPs uh, coming over a proxy from China from a BOS machine or, or two different BOS machines, you know. If you like what we're doing, I wanted to let you know that there's Haiku OS, which is, uh, it tries to be as close to BOS as possible, you know, binary compatibility and all that good stuff, except it's open source and updated, you know, so you'll actually get updated software, uh, and you can use your favorite BOS programs on that. So I hope that helps. I hope you, I hope you look into that. We'll link, <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes. They probably hated us and they're never going to listen again. You are way too pessimistic. And that's me saying that. Well, yeah, you know, it's the roids. <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> Next up, we wanted to talk about Anthem. Yeah, this makes me really angry. This pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I mean, we're it's it's a pattern we're going to continue to see. I think an increasing issue. So Anthem was a, I believe, an insurance provider or some company. I'm not too sure of the actual details, but there was a, a big scandal where they were compromised recently, which is a big deal because you know well, they have. Okay, this is like big though this is like over 70 million people right whose information was leaked right so this isn't just like oh someone got access to their systems and you know they got employee information necessarily this is like customers as well yeah or like passwords like we're, we're i mean we're talking they got really sensitive things like at the very least like email i, I think maybe medical history um i'd have to review you know the original source actually says that it's birth dates and social security numbers even Oh, you know what? That's even that's that, that's even better because now because it's healthcare data. Like with those two things alone, do you ha do you have any idea how much like how far you can get with social engineering with just those two pieces of information? Probably awfully far. Terribly far, you know. So like that's that is a big deal, and that's that's what they said they got. Right. The, a big problem in our country is there's no there's no legal repercussion for releasing false information about a compromise. To my knowledge. Um, you know, I'm not actually sure about that. I think you can maybe, maybe. I maybe. think at some point you do have to publish like a formal report. Like I, I think that happened with Home Depot and Target with the whole credit card thing. I think I think you can file a civil suit. I don't think it's it's anything like. I don't think it's a federal case though. I don't think there's any law that requires you to disclose that information. I couldn't honestly tell you. But you didn't even get to the best part of this yet. I, re I really hope that I'm wrong. And if I am, someone please use our contact page and, and let me know. Um, and I'll immediately update the show notes as soon as I can. But I'm, I'm quite certain that at least in the U.S. that's it's not legally required. But, but here's the best part about that. So before the compromise, 
maybe a year or two ago? 2013. Tw- thank you. 2013. I believe it. The uh, compromise happened uh, mid to late January, so like sometime a month or two ago. They were supposed to be audited, but they, they claimed it was against company policy. And as a result, the auditing company, uh, who is a, like an unbiased third party, you know, they were forced to only, you know, they had a really tight scope. They were forced to only report on certain things, really mundane stuff like documentation or whatever. And they're like, yeah, so this is, they're doing this thing. They didn't let us do this other thing. And because of that, it skewed the results and basically looked like they passed the audit just fine. But. Which we now know they obviously would not have passed <laughs> Right. Assuming the auditors were, were competent enough to catch something like this. Well, I'd assume if you're dealing with that much information, it's probably like a pretty large firm. You can be surprised. <laughs> but um, beyond that, irony of ironies, if they actually let themselves be fully audited, they would have caught a lot of the issues that were used in this exploit, in this attack. And further, after the attack, it was requested that they were audited again, you know, they... There was some some requests for that company to be audited, and again they refused. So at this point, it's like a, a child with their their fingers in their ear, like screaming, like la 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 la. You know, like if if you don't tell me something's broken, it's not broken. I'm not going to let you tell me it's broken. Yeah, this is the part that just pisses me off. Like that's so irresponsible. At, at least at this point, like everyone knows that this happened. Especially if you're affected, I would hope that you know that this happened. And maybe you don't. I don't know. Not everybody reads Slashdot. At the very least, like, admit that you screwed up and take the steps to correct it moving forward. How? I mean, how else, if a company's not going to do that, how else do they earn any credibility? I, I honestly don't think they... A lot of companies care about credibility. And I'm, I'm by, by no means am I saying the customer comes first or the customer's always right. Everybody knows that's bullshit. But it is nice to actually see a company that respects its customers and respects its user base. Because, I mean, that's that's just kind of like a requirement for decency, you know? Yeah. So this is, this is a big deal, and it opens up discussion about a much bigger issue. Because they're not the only ones that, that act like that. They say, like, oh, we can't open ourselves up to an auditor. You know, we don't want to risk the... Uh, we either don't want to risk trade secrets being revealed, or... We don't want to be told something's broken because, you know, then we're liable to fix it. And every, every you know, CISO or whatever out there is going to be like, I don't see what the problem is. Here's the problem. This happened because the audit wasn't allowed to be done, you know? Nobody nobody said, you know what, I, I know this guy said this one thing, but I realize the importance of this, so I'm going to try and push this in my company. Nobody really let them do Nobody let the auditor do their job. And you can't rely on internal policy to keep you secure, you know, because every every company, uh, even small companies, are they're just so insular to themselves that they don't really approach it as an outsider would, you know, and, and that's that's true of a lot of things in life. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't run any large scale websites or businesses, obviously, but I mean, even the conversation I had with you earlier, I was referencing... Uh, simply running e-commerce software mm-hmm. for for somebody, basically. Like, if I were contracted to do that, that's something that I think I'd be really uncomfortable with. Like, at that point, you're dealing with people's financial data. And, it, I mean, you're, in a sense, I, at least I would feel like I was responsible. And, you know, there's some things you just couldn't prevent. Like, if somebody had just found, you know, one of the security exploits we talked about or whatever and there's no patch yet, that's not really something you can prevent. That's just like a consequence of using open source software or any software. 
At least you hear about it when it's open source, though, is my point. Well, not only that, but usually there's a patch out way quicker than right. commercial software. How many how many Windows sysadmins out there listening are excited for tomorrow, by the way? <laughs> patch Tuesday? Is that something Microsoft still does, or do they actually re- release patches as they're written now? Uh, dude, you're asking the wrong guy. I don't even know what you're talking about when you mention Tuesday. Patch Tuesday? Oh my goodness. So Windows delays the release of patching, of like patch and, and hot fixes and things like that, uh, until Tuesday. Uh, I'm pretty sure Apple does the same thing with uh, OS X. They release like a once a week update. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand that. And Apple has had a, a pretty bad tech track record especially with like flash and things like that but i mean there are a lot of windows servers out there yeah that's true a lot so if you're relying on one day of the week to get a patch that was fixed four days ago for an issue that was found a month ago a security flaw that was found a month ago that's that's a big deal every it's a lot of exposure that that is it's a lot of exposure well, every second counts at that point you know so what can you do you can use arch <laughs> Well, you get a Mesa update every other day. Of I the week. I use Arch for uh, you know for my service, but that's just because you know it's 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 what I'm familiar with and comfortable with. Uh, you know, in, in the professional environment, uh, I use CentOS because everybody does. Yeah, well, that's what we use too at work is CentOS and Red Hat. But yeah, um, so I mean, they at least if it's if the security if it's warranted, you know, if it's like a super game breaking bug or if it's a super bad security vulnerability, they'll have a patch out within a day or two and you know done so kudos to them for at least backporting that stuff but i mean they're they're enterprise level in uh, linux essentially so i would hope it'd be expected of them to do that right right but that brings me back to my original point it doesn't really but we need to get back to the original point security audits are really good things if any cisos are listening i don't know why you know because you're you're probably too busy to listen to a podcast about system administration but if you're listening i implore you Hire a pen tester, hire an auditor, hire as many people as you can to break stuff that you have. Because when you hire someone to do that, you have a contract. You you have something to point to and say, okay, you need to tell me everything that's broken. And sometimes they'll even suggest how to fix it. You know, I, I think most pen testers I know actually suggest fixes, which is great. You know, I mean, that's, you're, you're getting the price of an audit and a consultant for one, you know, but it's super important. It's so important. Yeah, well, and you know, on that note, if anything, if you're if you're working in systems administration, you have an end user that comes up to you and brings up a legitimate concern or something that's broken. At that point, you know, they're not sitting there begging you for compensation. They're telling you uh, about a problem that they became aware of. And you should embrace that and be thankful that somebody brought it to your attention before, you know, in the case of like a security threat or an issue like that, before somebody who wouldn't responsibly handle the situation found out. Exactly. And that's the other side of pen testing and audits and stuff. When I say pen testing, if you're unfamiliar with the term, I hope you are, but if you're unfamiliar with the term, it's short for penetration testing. When you hire someone to do that, the the benefit of that contract is you've got a safety net. You know what's going on. It may be after the fact, but you still know what's going on. If the uh, quote-unquote bad guys do it, I very highly doubt they're going to be uh, They're gonna be like, hey, uh, you should probably patch bind on this system or you know like they're not gonna they're not gonna be like that you know no white hat hackers do it for money black hat hackers do it for money it's just a matter of who pays them and the more broken stuff that your pen tester or auditor or whatever finds the better because that means you know what to fix you have fixes that you can apply that doesn't mean your shit's broken 
everybody's shit's broken to some degree. It's more so like now you've got a course of action. Now you've got a preventative measure that you can take to prevent the bad guys from getting access to these flaws that you've already paid someone to show you. And that's my take on it. Agreed. Wholeheartedly. Oh, Anthem. Let's move on to something happier, huh? I'm ready for the next one, too. Okay. So, Linux, the Linux kernel, is moving on to version 4.0, 4.x, because uh, I'm not sure what the first stable release is going to be. It's got a lot of cool things lined up. But there's one that is the coolest thing. Yeah, and I'm sure there might be other cooler things, but this is the one that, that sticks out in my mind already. Kernel 4.0 is slated to have rebootless patching. Now, this is this has already been possible, you know, with... K-Splice. K-Splice, yeah. Uptrack, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're talking like years at this point. I I think they may have been around for oh I don't know a decade maybe maybe a little bit less maybe eight years. I'll I'll find it out and put it in the show notes. And I believe it was open sourced at the beginning. I want to know why it wasn't implemented earlier. I I guess maybe. Well, I mean, you had two enterprise level organizations that were working on it that probably wanted some of the glory. Well, that's how it is now. But that's I I think it was Red Hat and SUSE have their own implementation. Um, but K-Splice is, I think, owned by Oracle. Like, they're, they're totally separate from it. But they, the product used to be, from what I remember, open source by, like, a team of, like, four or five guys. And it mostly worked. I may be remembering this absolutely incorrectly. And if that, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if I am in the corrections. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. So, I mean, maybe, maybe Linus declined the pull request for it way back when? You know, and, and it just wasn't up to his standards or, what have you, but who knows? Who knows? Either way, uh, what ended up happening was Red Hat and SUSE, they basically combined their programs, and now it's integrated right into the kernel. Yeah, yeah. So starting 4.0, you'll be able to, quote-unquote, upgrade the kernel without having to reboot. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, this is great because, obviously, Linux servers, if you maintain them, you know that you can already run for months at a time, usually, without having to reboot. This could easily make that, I don't know, a year, two years, depending. Well, here's here's the thing. So, there, when you compare security flaws, and, you know, like, we're sysadmins, so this is our biggest concern when it comes to patching. When it, when it comes to, like, security fixes, that's maybe 1 out of 10, 2 out of 5 the times on the kernel. Most of it's in user land. Usually it's in such a higher level of user land that, you know, you, you don't need to reboot. You just maybe at the most need to stop and restart a service, like Apache or whatever. Ghost, you would still need to reboot. It was still user land, you know. A rebootless kernel would not have fixed, would not have helped you there, because that was, as we talked about last time, a very core library service, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't see it making that much of a difference other than maybe feature sets or, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how they're gonna do it securely. I know how, um, from what I understand about Uptrack, you know, I, I've used it a little bit. It's, builds kind of like a memory injection and then it kind of inserts it in the, the memory space of the kernel okay um and then it you know in t and so does it work like a kernel module basically yeah yeah it works really similar to a kernel module and like if there's any weakness of the of the linux kernel i would say it would be in the modules you know and right because it's it's such a dynamic kernel like that so I don't I don't know how they're going to do it in a, a secure way, but I I mean the kernel devs are pretty smart. I'm sure they'll figure out a way. And eh, pretty smart, you know. They're pretty smart, but that's that's still really exciting, you know. I mean, it's at least we have bragging rights now. How many kernel devs are there? Um, I don't know the exact number, but there's I think it's in maybe the millions. 
if you're listening and you contribute to the Linux kernel, let me know, please. <laughs> don't do not do it through the contact page because that emails directly to me and I don't want my inbox full of that crap. I'm sure all a million are listening right now. No, there's, there's a... You know what? I think in the sources, and I'll put this in the show notes too, I think in the source I have for that, for this topic, it gives an idea of, um, oh no wait, this is a, oh this is a slash dot radical. There was, there was another one where it talked about the kernel summit and it gave a rough estimate of how many kernel developers there currently are out there. That's something I would love to be able to do, but I'm just not smart enough. <laughs> well, I don't know, I mean, try at Thanks least. for the confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Try at least, you know, dude. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you're capable of. Dream of the sky, you know, like shoot for the stars and you'll land among the moon, or however the fuck the saying goes. <laughs> oh boy. So leaving that where it is, the uh, this is old school. Like this is this is an old an old flaw that's been around for a while. But you know, I mean, it, it's actually getting brought to light now because it's yeah. So the original release date of this vulnerability was January eighth of twenty fifteen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the actual like the vulnerability. So you may have heard of the the freak flaw in SSL TLS. I believe it only affects. You know what? I'm not sure what it affects. I I think it affects every version of SSL. I'll put it in the show notes. I thought it was just open SSL. I don't know. Um, but it is. I, I mean, well, well. So here's the thing: if it's if it's like a execution attack, it's going to be just one version of SSL, like open SSL or whatever. If it's a protocol attack, that's going to be every version of SSL, you know, because they need to be compatible with each other. Um, and I think it's the latter, but I'll, I'll update the show notes if I'm wrong, as I always do. So it's, it's really similar to Poodle in that it uses a downgrade attack. You know, it, it establishes a session and then kind of downgrades from there. And, and that, you know, to, to borrow a phrase I used last time, it whoopsies into a position where it can allow for a man in the middle attack. It's it's been a it was caused by an export law on encryption, which is just absolutely silly. I mean, it's really dumb. Yeah. So there's there's like export laws, and you can only have encryption at a certain maximum strength, and so on and so forth. So it came about as a result of that. It's not strictly because of that, but it it exists because of that policy. So I mean, that's maybe I don't know when that law was passed either. I I, I should have written it down. Um, maybe more than ten years. Wait, since that has been implemented? Since since the 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 password or uh, encryption export law has been around. God. So they they've had to work around that and and you know implement it in the protocol. Right. And these restrictions have been lifted. They were lifted a long time ago actually. Yeah, but it's still So they were lifted in 1999, but this has lived on for obviously a hell of a long time. Right. Because I mean, it's it's you don't want to break backward compatibility or anything like that. So you're you always kind of nervous to to make huge changes like this. But I mean, it's it's a prime example of political international laws affecting domestic and citizen security. You know, I mean, without that law, we can safely assume that that flaw would have never been born throughout the various code changes, various protocol changes, whatever. And as a result, now you've got a weakened security stack, a weakened SSL stack, because of some stupid law where, where again, you know, you had political leaders making decisions about things they didn't understand and hiring consultants, which were not very good. 
And I, I think a lot of that's due to maybe cronyism in, in politics or something. Like, you're, you're not going to hire the consultant who's good in this field and costs a fair bit of money. You're going to hire the guy who you know that you went to high school with, you know? Like, that's just how it is. It's the way the, at least the U.S. government works in, in terms of yeah. getting contracts. A lot of it's who you know. And in corporations, too. You know, a lot of it's just who you know. And I think that definitely... In either case, it's not very justified. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's a very stupid, silly thing. I don't know. I mean, it's selfish, too. It's great if you know somebody, but if you know somebody and they're not going to do what they're going to do well, then it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the problem is it's so hard to properly determine like skills and expertise level for that stuff. Right. So I, I guess, I don't know, I guess what we need is like some kind of, we do have certification systems, but there's no actual standard, and the ones we do have all kind of suck, you know, they they all fall short in, in some serious and major way. Yeah, this is kind of just turning into a sad episode about a bunch of depressing shit. I know, I'm I'm looking through <laughs> our topics list, I'm like, do we have anything happy here? Like, Well, the Linux kernel, that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you offered some solid advice to that guy using that operating system that I'm not going to even mention the name because it doesn't exist anymore what bos bos i yeah. thought you were talking about haiku os and i'm like they just like they just had a release recently what are you talking about no haiku's pretty real yeah yeah i was playing around with it the other day i couldn't get it to install on my main vm box but it installed just fine in kvm on my laptop so i don't know what's going on there i didn't bother to troubleshoot but i was getting like a, a kernel panic and everything which is kind of impressive you know for haiku os <laughs> That I managed actually, but it is you know they self admit like it's it's alpha slash beta software, so like take it with a grain of salt. We're still working on things, but it it's pretty polished, you know. Like if I if I wanted a really simple system where all I wanted to do was just like all I had to do was just like data entry or like word processing or something, I would totally use it. Actually, I'm sorry. Actually, yeah, uh, download the ISO and give it a spin. It's I mean it's really it's really clean. I, I literally, like, don't know anything about it, so I am just kind of, like, as something that I've barely heard of before, I don't understand. Well. Like, why wouldn't you just use Linux? Well, not everybody likes Linux, first off. Well, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, Linux is funny like that. So you've got a couple of options, you know. you got, like, Ubuntu. If you are if you don't know anything, if you don't really care about the OS you're using, most people don't, which is okay. It's totally their prerogative. It should just let you get your work done. But, you know, you, you want to go in the direction of Linux, your biggest option is going to be Ubuntu. But, I mean, at this point, even the support channels are just so clogged with, like, unhelpful and useless information because everybody thinks they're a fucking guru when they've used Ubuntu for, like, six months, you know? like. I mean, I can't say much. That's That used to be me. I used to just sit in the IRC channel and I would just try to help people out. No, I mean, I, I appreciate it. You know, like, everybody's got to start, like, somewhere. You know, I start somewhere. My my first my first Linux box I ever had, I was running Debian. I was running an FTP server intentionally, like, out of my home. And that got rooted hard. Really? Oh, yeah. Because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. That was in, like, you know, the Wild West days of the internet, probably. <laughs> that, was, that was back when Comcast let you run an FTP server on their line. So it was it was a fair bit long time ago, but that was that was Debian. I don't remember what release three or four. I don't know. Sarge? What's Sarge? Mm, I don't know. I was never really on the Debian boat. It may have been the one right before Sarge. I don't know. But yeah, so Debian was my first experience, and then then I tried out Ubuntu and kind of jived with it, but it was basically just Debian with some themes installed back then. Right. I mean, to be fair, Ubuntu is the only reason that we know each other at this point. That doesn't make it okay. 
I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I know, I know. Because I would, I would, I was in the. Yeah, we never really talked about how we met, and we've got, we got a. Yeah, this episode is running short for once, so. Uh, well, I've got a burning statement to make, but I'm gonna just wait. <laughs> okay, so we we first met in the Ubuntu USPA loco. Yep. That was a. Uh, does, does Ubuntu still have locos? Locos. For those unfamiliar with Ubuntu terminology, are local communities? Yeah, they still have them. We still reapp every year in Pennsylvania. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't. I still maintain the calendar on some level. <laughs> and by that, I mean I'm the only person that has access to give other people access, it seems. Nice. I just trolled the channel at this point. If I'm in there at all, like, I'm, in, I'm always idling in there. But if I'm actually active in there, watch out, because I'm probably not being helpful in the least. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of how we knew each other. I had already moved on from Ubuntu at that point, uh, but I just kind of stuck around because I knew everyone in the channel and everything. And then you hopped in. I think I was trying to help you. I should, I should dig up my logs. Probably. I, honestly, I think it'd be really fun to go back and see some of our conversations from the early days. But, I would, um, I would have seen the first time I Nick highlighted you and see <laughs> what it was for. You probably sent me a link to Gentoo Wiki. <laughs> no, the, the, the Gentoo Wiki was, Man, I don't even think it was around yet. That was a long time ago. Yeah. And then and then Gentoo Wiki started and it was like a private kind of thing. And then and then Gentoo kind of absorbed it after it had that big crash. So yeah, what's what's your what's your burning statement? Now I'm curious. Oh uh, well mostly I mean we're talking about um we're talking about different distros and I admittedly started with Ubuntu. I didn't stick around very long. I distro hopped like it was my job because I just wanted to try them all. I don't know. I don't have that desire anymore but maybe that's because i found what i've liked but it can be kind of daunting like if you're a newer user if you've never used anything else whatever on that note between the two of us we've used an awful lot of distros if anybody is looking for information or just like generally needs a little help stop by our irc channel hang out i would love to talk about that at the very least um that's something oh, i yeah. can relate to i mean i've used OpenSUSE, i've used red hat i've used centos i've used gentoo i've used arch i've used fedora so the list goes on and on i've and used all of those except Red Hat. And it's okay to be afraid of switching distros. And it's definitely okay to leave Ubuntu behind in the dust. Yeah. I mean, if you feel yourself growing into it and maybe getting to the point where you're getting frust where you're getting more frustrated with it than the novelty of having it, we definitely encourage you to like at least spin up a VM. Throw like VirtualBox or uh, Kimu with KVM on your on your box and load up a couple of VMs. Like, see how you like some other ones. They're, I mean, I mean, like all of them except maybe one or two are are free as in beer. And and Not the ones that, that but... and the ones that aren't free as in beer have totally open source and free as in beer counterparts. Like Red Hat has CentOS, SUSE has OpenSUSE or SUSE Community or what the hell is called now. It's, it's OpenSUSE, yeah. OpenSUSE. Does anybody use like SUSE Enterprise? I you know what I have a funny Is that story what it's about called? that. I um I think just Seuss now. I think it used to be Seuss Enterprise. I have a funny story about that though. I'm gonna take a drink of beer first. He just finished the whole bottle, guys. I did not. It's a huge bottle. It might be gone by the end of the night, but you know that's not done now. I'm only like a third in. So I had a job. It was it was one of the the first jobs where I was actually in control and had authority and responsibility over a large number of Linux systems, and I had to go on a field call. And I go to a field call. I, you know, I open up their rack. I'm on the phone with their guy in like frickin', I don't know, Germany, maybe France, somewhere in Europe. And he's trying to, like, none of their cables are labeled or anything like that. He's trying to walk me through, um, patching in a new VoIP switch. So I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's should be like a, a 10 minute job tops, but I didn't know shit wasn't documented or labeled or anything. So it's like, all right. So 
log into this server, gives me the, the root password, which again is, is hilarious. We were so naive back then in like the early 2000s. You know, we didn't have to worry about giving our root passwords over the phone because, you know, the NSA wasn't really that much of a worry uh, back then. That was good times. So anyways, he gives me the root password over the phone and I log in and I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is this shit? Like, <laughs> it's... It's got like a, a colored terminal, so I know it's not like Debian or uh or CentOS slash Red Hat. But it's you know, you you start services in a weird way and there's no yum or not yum. Um there's no like uh apt probably wasn't real back then, was it? No, apt apt was, but you were you were supposed to be supposed to use aptitude rather than apt because it had better reverse dependency handling so there was there was no after aptitude there was no d package so it, it wasn't a debian system so i'm like looking around and i'm like what the fuck is this like it it kind of feels like red hat but it's definitely not so i asked the guys like what is this and he's like oh it's it's susa he was it was like german or whatever so he pronounced it susa and, and now i catch myself pronouncing it like that all the time which is horrible because americans look at me funny and i'm like really i thought that was dead you know like i didn't i didn't i i stopped myself from actually saying it but i'm like who the fuck uses this in an in like a production environment but again like it, it at least it was a lot more popular in europe than it is now uh, well fun fact i just tried to go to openseuse.org and it's not resolving <laughs> no i i think hold on it's it's really convoluted oh what no it worked fine now <laughs> Um, okay, well, on that note, again, if you're listening and you use OpenSUSE, contact me, find me. I First, wanna... why? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not condemning you, I don't judge. Whatever. Oh, I if am. you're happy, I'm happy. I am. I, and that's rare for me, but, like, really, why? Well, I just want to know, like, what's the appeal? I want to know. Alright, I, yeah, I can, I can grant that, you know. Um, and I guess, you know, it's all preference. Some people really like Yast, but I didn't. <laughs> I I, tr I gave it a chance. For what it's worth, I gave it such a chance. I used it as my desktop OS for like three months. And then I got to the point where I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. I cannot. I'm going insane. This is horrible. Everything's broken. I'm getting really frustrated. Forget it. So, um, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to run through my, my entire history. So, first box was Debian. Then I went to uh, Ubuntu. And then Gentoo. I went from Ubuntu to, to Gentoo. Well, so did I, but that's only because uh, I had my back pocket reference. <laughs> you mean me? <laughs> like, I'm yeah, I mean, I seriously remember the first time I used Gentoo. I think I was in like late elementary school or early middle school, and here I was compiling my own kernel and stuff, and I was just like, I must be one of the cool kids now. I don't know. <laughs> elementary school? Oh my gosh, dude, that makes well, me feel I, old. Yeah, when I first uh, joined the Ubuntu PA channel, I think it had to have been late elementary school. Maybe, no I don't know. We have to see if we can find logs from back then. I, I'm sure I have them somewhere. We need Penbot. <laughs> <laughs> Penbot. No, I, I have logs. I'll I'll look it up sometime. Um yeah, I mean I don't I don't know. That was I know I definitely helped you a lot with Gen 2. Oh god, yeah, poor guy. Um uh, I still ask you stupid questions, but at least now they're related to simpler distributions. <laughs> that's that's true. I, I ended up liking Gen 2 a lot. Mostly just because of how hands on and customizable it was. And um I went from Gen 2 to I think I went back to Debian for a little bit. And, you know, like, on the side, I'm, like, trying other stuff. Like, oh, I wonder what CentOS is like. I wonder what, like, Fedora is like. You know, like, I'm I'm trying all these other ones, but not really, they're not really sticking with me enough to do, like, a, a dedicated partition install. I usually just have, like, one test partition that I've installed of that. Tried out for a little bit, not like it, wipe that partition and install over it. Then I think I used Debian for, for a fair bit. And then my OpenSUSE phase, it was a phase. I think I went back to Gentoo. Stuck with Gentoo for years. 
years. Yeah, I was with Gentoo for a couple of years. And then last year, I kind of just got fed up with Gentoo. The flexibility it gave me just wasn't worth it anymore because stuff kept breaking. I was a really experienced Gentoo user, so I know it wasn't like, I know I wasn't breaking it. Everything the news advisories told you to, follow the wiki articles and, and all that, if it was something I was unfamiliar with. Otherwise, like, I, I knew how to run a proper Gentoo system. It was, I kept it as clean as possible. But it, it just, it suffers from bit rot, lib rot, you know, like library rot or something. Yeah, it kind of does. And I mean, that's why I finally gave it up. As much as, <laughs> I mean, I feel like some kind of Brent fanboy at times because <laughs> ultimately I only tried Gentoo because you pushed me to try Gentoo a long ass time ago. But aren't you glad I did? And then imagine how much you learned. Oh, I, I learned so much. It's not even funny. So, I mean, it was worth it. Yeah. And I mean, at that point, I had it on my desktop and my VPS. And now, again, I've made the same switch to Arch. And honestly, I think that I would probably not even bother with Arch. I'd probably go for something like CentOS, other than I love the rolling release. It's so amazing not to have to, like, do a whole system upgrade. And the speed with which we get, like, security updates and everything is just, oh, like... fantastic. Within a couple hours. Yeah, it's like a good peace of mind, honestly. If you're running a personal VPS and your provider allows you to bootstrap your own distro or Arch is available, take it for a spin, try it. It's a little bit to get used to depending what you're coming from, but I think it's worth it. It's it's a nice balance. Between yeah, it's like growing the... a lot too. I mean, the community's oh, yeah. getting a lot it's bigger. Documentation, packages. They've got a and great it's super wiki. easy to package for them. So if you can contribute in that way, do it. Yeah, I've got a couple packages on the AUR and their wiki's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I'd say at this point, the Arch Wiki has surpassed the Gentoo Wiki. And that's a bold statement to make. Because the Gentoo Wiki used to, like, just lead documentation in Linux. I'm, I'm not trying to get your goat here, because, you know, like you. You know, plenty of people use CentOS. Why would you prefer CentOS over Arch, given the chance? I mean, the binaries are pretty nice. The fact that you can take a software package that was built pretty much for, like, Fedora, Red Hat, CentOS, and they're all just compatible. Um, and because it is enterprise level, I, I don't think I realized this until I started working in systems administration, but it's pretty easy to find, like, information for whatever you want to do. And, and that can be true with something like Arch as well, but you're not going to find somebody who's running a fucking Arch server that's running Xenos on it and monitoring a thousand machines. You're just not going to. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but they're, they sure as hell yeah, are writing blog posts about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's the big thing, so. Yeah, no, I can, I can get behind that. And that's the crux of it, though, isn't it? How much documentation, first off, do you really need? And that's, that's something, like, only you, the listener, can answer. I tend to need just a little bit of documentation, and then I can go from there. Because I like, I like poking and prodding. I like tweaking. I like playing around, see what works, what doesn't. You get to find all sorts of interesting stuff. That's, by the way, Jathan, how I figured out the structure to Mumbles, SQLite, tables, and everything. You know, I just, I just sat down and started poking around at it, because I'm a curious son of a bitch. Yeah, that's fair. But if Arch might be too complex, and it, it can be pretty complex, I'd say in, in terms of complexity and user-friendliness, it's probably somewhere between Debian and Gentoo. So it's pretty high up there. And Debian's actually, I want to do in a later episode a distro review, you know, so we'll, we'll talk about it more then, but Debian's gotten super friendly. The installer is awesome. If Arch had an installer like that, oh my gosh, it'd be so sexy. Let's spearhead that. Let's make it. Uh, no, no, thank you. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate already, and I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you want to do it, more power to you. If any of our listeners want to do it, Arch uses a Bash-based packaging system, so it's super easy. Go ahead and do it, whatever. Yeah, so so Debian's actually gotten a lot friendlier than when it was first around, but it still has like that 
and Curse's installer available if you want to do like headless installs over SSH or something, which is also pretty handy. But the, yeah, their GUI installer is just real sleek, real sexy now. Yeah, Arch is still, I'd say, somewhere between like Debian and Gen 2 in terms of complexity and, and previous recommended experience to running it. If you don't know a whole lot about Linux, it'll teach you a hell of a lot real fast. True story, for sure. Same with Gen 2. And that was the best part of Gen 2 for me, was just the amount that I had to learn to keep my system alive and updated. Oh, yeah. Rolling releases with, like, complex systems. And th- that's the thing. Like, we, we say complex. Gen 2's hell of a complex. They've got, like, hooks here and, and, like, Python scripts there. And so Arch is, like, it's all just bash over a really, really simple, bare-bones Linux system. It's really clean. I use it for live CD building. It's just, it's beautiful. It's stripped down. Very elegant. But... You got to know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing, thankfully, it's pretty easy to find out what you're doing, you know, to learn what you want to do. But it's it's definitely a path. You know, don't necessarily stick with CentOS if you just want to use like a... I wouldn't recommend it really for like a laptop or a desktop OS. Server OS, you know, it, it's it's fine. Stable. Sometimes the, the software versions are a little bit old, but, you know, whatever. But for a laptop or desktop OS, I really recommend something that's a little bit more up to date. So Arch, I really like for that. But again, you know, it's a pretty complicated install setup for someone who's totally new to Linux. So uh, check out Manjaro. Manjaro is to Arch Linux what uh, Ubuntu is slash was to Debian. They install everything for you. You get a GUI at the end of the install. It's a GUI installer, which Arch doesn't offer. You know, it's all, it's a process. It's, it's fantastic. I installed it on my girlfriend's laptop. She's totally new to, to Linux. Never used it before. And I don't know if, if it's just because she's so intuitive. Shout out. Holla. She's really intuitive. I mean, she's, she's using it with like great, she's just flying on it, you know? Like she's, she knows stuff about her OS that I don't know about it, you know? So I'm like, how did you do that? It's either a really intuitive design, or she just has a knack. But really, check out Manjaro Linux. Throw it in a VM. It's a nice, clean installer. They have a server version, which is just command line, no GUI, but like a lot of helping scripts and stuff like that. They have, I think, an XFCE version and a uh, a Mate version. Mate is like a fork of GNOME 2 using like modern libraries and stuff, for those people who hate the way look, uh, GNOME 3 looks. Yeah, so it's, it's really cool. I really like it. I probably wouldn't use it because I like a little bit more control over my system than Manjaro offers because uh, they set up a lot of stuff for you automatically. But yeah, I definitely have to have to recommend it. You got anything else to say? No, I don't think so. I got pretty excited while we were talking about the distro review because I think we're just going to be able to talk about that for a long time. Which Yeah. And, and I mean, again, we both have played around a lot with a lot of different distros, so I'm pretty excited for that now. Yeah, maybe maybe at some point we'll we'll uh, mention on like Facebook or something an actual summary of of what distros we've tried. Basically, if it's if it's got more than like three thousand people using the distro, we've probably tried it between the two of us. So, <laughs> I've I've tried some really obscure ones, and I oh yeah, me too. Ended sure. up hating all of them. I so. tried Slackware once, so there's that. Slackware definitely is not obscure though. No, but it's scary. <laughs> I definitely no. I don't know about scary. It's it's the closest Linux you can probably get to BSD without getting BSD. It's super close to a traditional Unix feel. I mean, it's it's one of like the um. I think it is slightly older than Debian. It's like the first Linux distro that's still around. That's still alive. So that's pretty cool. You got nothing else you want to talk about? Nope. I think uh, I'm feeling pretty good about this week. Cool. I'm excited. This is System Ministeria. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. Have a good time.